Uh, if you have your Bibles, you may want to take and turn with me to Revelation chapter number 7. Uh, as we kind of just bring everything kind of to a close. Um, we've been on quite a journey as far as prophecy is concerned. I mean, we have been um, <clears throat> making our way through through several things. I mean, we've been through the book of Daniel. We've been through the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we've looked at Matthew 24 and some aspects of Matthew 24. Um, we've been and looked at the patriarchs, okay? And if you remember, there's only three patriarchs. There's not five, there's only three. And that's, of course, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they are the three patriarchs. Uh, there are some uh, theologians who try to insert Ishmael and also Esau in that list uh, simply because of who their father was. But we know that the patriarchs are only those within who the seed of the promise came. And uh, so, as we think about that and understand that the patriarchs, um, as, as we understand them, of being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when you go to the New Testament and you read one of the things that they had difficulty with, the Pharisees had problems getting their hands around. Um, and they always made reference to Abraham. When Jesus Christ came on the scene, uh, there were some difficulties there. And uh, so um, now we kind of understand a little bit of where the Pharisees would draw back to when it came to, to those. Uh, we talked about the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, we talked about the Davidic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, of course, being completely fulfilled during the millennial kingdom uh, when all of the land will be divided up in Israel all of the possession will take place exactly the way that it was stated in the Abrahamic covenant and all of those things that would take place. And uh, we also talked about the Davidic covenant, the throne of David uh, during the millennial kingdom would be occupied once again. And uh, just as the scripture said that it would be Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ will rule and reign uh, from the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem. So we've been through a lot. I mean, when you go back and you look at it, we've been through the 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, we've looked at all of, those, all of those components and all of those pieces of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And so as we've made our way through all of that, there's just a lot there for us that we've been through. All right, so tonight, one of the things that we have been talking about is the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Where did the 12 tribes come from? Where did the 12 tribes uh, begin. What is the significance of the 12 tribes of Israel? One of the things that we also talked about is sometimes when you go through and you read in the scripture, you will notice sometimes there's 14, sometimes there's 13, sometimes there's 11, sometimes there's 12. It just depends on the context of what you're reading as to the actual list of the tribes of Israel that you come up with. So as you come to Revelation chapter number 7, it is not any different uh, you come to Revelation chapter 7, there is a scene unfolding in heaven where in Revelation chapter number 7, everything is not in chronological order in the book of the Revelation. So as you're going through reading the book of the Revelation, you're going to come across these things. We refer to them as parenthetical insertions uh, that are put in place in different points throughout the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 is one of those. It happens between the sixth seal and the seventh seal and the opening of the seventh seal the sixth seal has already been opened uh, we see the results of the opening of the sixth seal back in chapter six uh, matter of fact specifically in chapter six 
from verse 12 down through verse 17. Matter of fact, the prophet Joel spoke about it. Uh, some of the other minor prophets spoke about this very time with the opening of the sixth seal and those things that would take place. So that's what you have happening here. You come to chapter number 7. And as you come to chapter number 7, John is allowed to see some things that John has not had the, the privilege or the understanding to be able to look at. But John has a lot of questions as you come to chapter number 7. And I don't blame him. I would probably have the same questions that he has uh, based upon what he is allowed to see in chapter number 7. So in chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1, we're going to look at um, what is going to unfold for John here. Uh, verse 1 says, And after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Now, who are these angels that has the power to bring the harm to what has been described in these opening verses, uh, the earth, the sea, and the trees? Well, as you move past the sixth seal and you come to the seventh seal, there is silence in heaven for about the space of a half an hour. And, and so things are getting ready to begin to ramp up, so to speak. Matter of fact, you're getting ready after you leave the seal judgments to enter into the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments or the vile judgments. They're going to be poured out. These angels that are talked about here in Revelation chapter number 7 will be part of those who will carry out the decrees of God himself and they are the ones who will unleash uh, this coming from the throne of God. Now, one of the things I also want you to understand, when we begin the trumpet judgments and the vile judgments, that is when the wrath of God is going to be poured out. Up to this point, it has not. Some get confused with the seal judgments versus the trumpet judgments and the bowl or the vile judgments. The seal judgments are all predicated on the Antichrist. They're the doing of the Antichrist, not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not poured out until you get to the trumpets. When you get to the trumpets, the very wrath of God is going to be poured out on the face of the earth and on the inhabitants of the earth that are here. Now, what is interesting is when you come to verse number 3, it says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. That's an interesting phrase, that word bondservants. If you remember from the message this morning, one of the things that Paul referred to himself is as a bondservant of Jesus Christ or a bond slave. Actually, it comes from the Greek word doulos, meaning slave. And so that's the way, that's the way Paul referred to himself. That's the way Paul said and uh, saw himself in his relationship through Jesus Christ. And so we see here that the ones that John sees and it's being referred to here are those who are believers, those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ 
as we see in verse number 3. Well, we come to verse 4, and the scene for John begins to change. And notice what it says. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, this sealing that takes place, this sealing uh, that is going to occur, this sealing, nothing is going to happen until the remnant of the 144,000 Jews are sealed for protection from that wrath. 144,000 Jews, and let me say this to you tonight, and I'm going to go through this in much more detail, all right? The 144,000 here are Jews. They will be sealed. They will be protected during this time when the wrath of God is going to be poured out. All right? So who are they? Now, here's another interesting thing. As you come to the next verse and you come to verse number 5, here's an interesting thing. This is just an interesting thought for you. And as I've been studying this, I noticed this. Now, I've read this passage a hundred times. I have been through it. I've studied the tribes of Israel upside down, inside out. I've been over them and over and over. And then when I went back through and I was reading this afternoon, I noticed something interesting. That Judah is in the first of the list instead of Reuben, who's the firstborn. But Judah is there. Have you ever considered or wondered why the possibility that Judah may be listed first? Well, there are some Bible scholars and some commentators out there who basically have stated that the reason that Judah is first is because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, comes through the line of the tribe of Judah. And so, therefore, it's listed first. Maybe, okay. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever come to the conclusion because let me share this with you. From what I just shared with you about that thought, there are 10 other thoughts about why Judas listed there. Okay? So, um, will we know exactly for sure why Judah is listed there? Uh, I don't know. Other than we do know that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who will sit on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom, comes through the line of the tribe of Judah. And the covenant was made through Judah and not through Reuben. Okay? So it's interesting. So from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. And then from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. So there they are. What's interesting about this list is there are 12 of them here, but we notice that two are missing which is interesting when you go through the list. There are two tribes that are missing, that are not listed. And let me give you this two tribes and who they are. It's Dan and Ephraim. What is interesting is Joseph is mentioned, and one of the sons of Joseph by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh is mentioned in the list, but Ephraim is not. Levi is also mentioned in this list that, jo that normally in the majority of the list, with the exception of the list that spoke about 
the priests in the tribe of Levi specifically, the Levites, uh, the Levites are not mentioned in most of the lists either. Why? Because they were not going to and did not possess any land within themselves. Everything was taken care of as a result of the other tribes. But we notice that they're listed here. So why is that today? Um, and let me just kind of start here. Um, the 12 tribes, okay, are not lost as some state today. Now, there are some who say that the 12 tribes of Israel are lost. Uh, you'll never get them back, okay? They'll never return back uh, to their tribal uh, possession or inheritance and so therefore what you have listed in Revelation chapter number 7 can only be symbolic you cannot take it literally and I said well I said okay then I have a real problem okay I I've, I've just have a real difficulty because God made a covenant with Abraham that said that the children of Israel would occupy every square inch of the land of Canaan specifically, and God promised that. Up until this day, they have not done that. So therefore, at some point in time, the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel is going to occupy every square inch of the land of Canaan. Why? Because God promised it to them in the Abrahamic covenant. And so therefore, the divisions of that land are going to occur just the way God orchestrated them. And that's the way it's going to happen. Okay? You say, well, how do you know that? Well, Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48 give you the description of all of the division of that land in the land of Israel. Have you ever wondered why tonight, even tonight as we speak... They've been running some, uh, some specials on a couple of the TV channels on the city of Jerusalem. Going back to its history and looking at where it is today. Why, why, do they always, why does it seem like that just, that the world is just, that they've got this thing about Jerusalem? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why they have it. It's the city of God. It's the city that God's chosen to set his name on. And at the end of the day, that's where the culmination of everything is going to occur is in the city of Jerusalem. So is it any wonder that everything in the world today points back to the city of Jerusalem? As Jerusalem goes, so goes the rest of the world, so to speak. And so that's, that's what we see. So the 12 tribes of Israel is going to occupy all of that land. I will tell you, they don't occupy it today. I've been over there, okay? And I will tell you, as we journey through the land of Israel, we come out of Israeli occupation into Palestinian occupation locations. All of that land is divided. When you look at the actual footprint of what Israel has possession of, it's not much. But guess what? Just hold on to your seat. Because the day's coming when they're going to occupy all of it. So people say, well, when you come to Revelation chapter number 7... There is absolutely no way that you can take that literally. It must be symbolic. And so here's what they claim that the 12 tribes of Israel, the 144,000, and oh, by the way, there is a denomination who tout the 144,000, but they've had to change that number, okay? Because of the number that have become a part of that denomination now, it has exceeded the 144,000. And so, therefore, apparently, it can't be just that 144,000. Let me tell you something. It's not a denomination. Let me share something else with you. It is not symbolic. 
You say, well, how do you know it's not symbolic? Well, first of all, most of them, the majority of those that hold to a symbolic understanding of the 12 tribes of Israel in Revelation chapter number 7 say that it's the church. It's the who? They say it's the church. And I said, why in the world would God go through and give us in his word and go through in Revelation chapter number 7 and say there's 144,000 that are sealed from the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel and it's the church? If that's the case, why nowhere else in Scripture are you given any connection such as this? Nowhere. And it would only make logical sense if it was the church and not the nation of Israel, then why in the world would God go through and specifically list the tribes at the number that's in each tribe of 12,000 to give you 144,000? Why in the world would you do that? If it was something that was to be taken symbolically and not literally. Nowhere else in the Bible at all do a dozen references to the 12 tribes of Israel mean the church. Nowhere. You won't find it. The fact that specific tribes and specific numbers are mentioned from each tribe removes this from any symbolic interpretation at all. Therefore, it must be literal. So who are they? What happened to those other two tribes? Well, one thing I can share with you is, do we know for sure? Does the Scripture tell us that these are not going to be listed specifically well let's go through and see what the scripture says much speculation has arisen today about why the tribe of Dan is omitted Joseph and one of his two sons Manasseh of course are listed but Ephraim Joseph's other son is omitted and keep in mind that Joseph's two sons who came under the blessing from Jacob Joseph's father remember that Manasseh and Ephraim were what we refer to as half-breeds because Joseph married an Egyptian woman and as a result of that Ephraim and Manasseh were born to Joseph to an Egyptian woman but they both received the blessing from Jacob and so when you look at all of these Dan and Ephraim what is the significance of Dan and Ephraim well Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 15. We need to go back to the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 15. There are other passages that are very similar to this one um, that you can go through and look at. All right. Um, and matter of fact, uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning in the first part of the chapter, of course, there's a message that is going to come to the temple gate. It comes at the temple gate. And um, I tell you what, let's just go to verse 1 of chapter 7. I, because I want to make sure you get the context here, okay? Uh, what I don't want to do is just take this one verse and kind of pull it out, okay? So let's get the context Verse 1 of chapter 7, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. And thus says the Lord of hosts, 
the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk with other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, that you may do all of these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. But now, but go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all of these things, declares the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust, and to the place which I gave you in your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And then I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all of your brothers, all of the offspring of Ephraim. Ephraim's not listed in the list. But here's the difficulty that you have, though. When you go to Ezekiel chapter 48 and you look at the distribution of the land in 47 and 48, we find that Ephraim is listed. Okay? So how do you handle the difference? Well, if you look at the division of the land, all right, um, in Ezekiel chapter 48, in verse number 5, you see Ephraim is mentioned in the division of the land. And let me share one of the things with you that is taking place here. And this is where you have to be careful with context and also chronology. Because the 144,000 witnesses is going to occur during the 70th week of Daniel, not the millennial kingdom. So... The missing of the name Dan and Ephraim out of the list, is it significant that they're not listed there? Could be. The only, the only possibility that is thought uh, to be and to play into this. Matter of fact, uh, let's go to Judges chapter 18 and verse 30 and we'll look at, we'll look at Dan, okay? Real quickly and then I'll make some comments about We'll go to Judges chapter 18. Judges chapter 18, verse 30. So the Danites 
have been omitted from the list as well. But what's interesting is what you find here in Judges chapter 18 and verse number 30. And notice, well, let's start in verse 29. So they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father, who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. The sons of Dan set up for themselves the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's graven image, which he had made all of the time that the house of God was at Shiloh. Remember what we read in Jeremiah chapter 7, speaking about Shiloh? Okay. So what happened with Dan? Dan had set up. Dan was one of the ones who pushed the idol worship. So is that a possibility as to why Dan may have not been listed in the list in Revelation chapter 7? Uh, the possibility is there. I will tell you, most Bible scholars and commentators feel like that probably, since Dan is omitted in that list in Revelation chapter 7, but included still in the list in Ezekiel chapter 48, could be for the very reason that we read here about their association with idols and idol worship. Okay, The same goes for Ephraim as well. Ephraim would be in the same position. Let's go to 1 Kings and um, look at chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28 through verse 29. And I will say this as well. There are some who says makes no difference that Dan and Ephraim is not really listed in the list in Revelation chapter number 7 because you can go back into the Old Testament and see where different ones were omitted from the list. Uh, for instance, Joseph may be eliminated and Manasseh and Ephraim is included or Joseph may be included and Ephraim or Manasseh, one of the two, may be left out of the list. And Basically what they're saying is it's really immaterial whether or not they're all specifically listed. And I'm like... Well, you know, this is a little bit different context when you come here, okay? Because every single tribe has been listed. But we deal with the number of 12 and the perfection surrounding the number of 12 and the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes to give you that perfect number of 144,000. And they said, well, the only way that that would work out is if you only used and listed 12 specifically. And I said, I think God is just a little bit smarter than that, okay? And the way that God puts all of this into context. Look at 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28 through verse 29. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. How many of y'all remember King Jeroboam? And the kingdom was divided between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Rehoboam in the south, Jeroboam in the north. One of the concerns that Jeroboam had was that they would travel down to Jerusalem to worship in the, in the temple there in Jerusalem and would not return back to Israel. So here's what he said. I'm going to make it easy for you. We're going to set up two calves. And guess where one of them was? One's in Bethel and one's in Dan. And so notice what happened. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold, your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. So he set one in Bethel, and he set the other one in Dan. 
But now notice verse 30. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. So there are some Bible scholars, okay, who feel like that because of where Dan placed themselves when it came to idol worship, that that is the reason that they're not listed in Revelation chapter number 7. Okay? So if you were to ask me tonight what my honest opinion is, I would say it this way. Could be. May not be. Is this one of those things in Scripture that we would have a difficult time trying to actually come out and say this is the reason that they're not listed here in Revelation chapter number 7? It is. This is one that's, that's more difficult, okay? And so is it going to change anything, whether Dan and Ephraim is listed or not listed, or the reason why they're listed or not listed? It will not change anything to what is taking place in Revelation chapter number 7. What is taking place in chapter number 7 is this. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish witnesses. That's who they will be. And they will be sealed and protected during that period of the wrath of God when the wrath of God is poured out and they will be witnesses as a result of that. But there's some other ones in Revelation chapter number 7 that we also see. And so let's go back to Revelation chapter number 7. And really Revelation chapter number 7 can be divided into three different components. All right? And that's why I said it's so very important that you maintain the context. You know, most people go to Revelation chapter 7, and here's what they do. It's all about the 144,000. That's it. Now, there's a lot more to Revelation chapter 7, just the 144,000. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter number 7 is actually divided into three major divisions. One is the 144,000. Number two is the revelation of the great multitude of the faithful from every nation. Look at verse 9 through verse 12 of chapter number 7. And so after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever amen. The third division is this. The third division is the identification of those from every nation and tongue as well as a further enumeration of the blessings of God. And that's verse 13 through verse 17. So in Revelation chapter 7, you see three groups. You see the 144,000. You see a multitude from the tribulation. And then who's the last group? Verse 13 down through verse 17. And who would this last group be that is there? Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, asking John, So John, who are all these others that are here? 
who are all of these others that are gathered here around the throne. These who are clothed in the white robes. Who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, notice I like the way John answers this. He says, My Lord, you know. You know who they are. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And I will tell you who that is. That is those that have been raptured out. That's who he sees. Clothed in white robes and white garments. And they made, and they were made white by what? The blood of the Lamb. Verse 15, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So that's who they are. And you see the blessings of God in verse 17. And so Revelation chapter number 7 is this insertion that we have as things begin to flow because when you leave chapter 7 and you come to chapter number 8 you see it as it picks up with the seventh seal again and so when the lamb broke the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour and so now preparation begins and it begins with the trumpet judgments and as the trumpet judgments are poured out that you see in verse number 7 and the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And you see, in all of these, beginning with the trumpets and running all the way through the vials, is the very wrath of God being poured out on the earth, the people, and the sea. And the wrath of God. But praise the Lord tonight for the believer. For the believer, you and I, and I can give you this in assurance tonight based on the assurity of Scripture itself that as believers, you will not see the wrath of God. You will not experience the wrath of God at all. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, made it very clear that we will not experience the wrath of God. So from here, chapter 8 through the trumpet judgments and the vile judgments you run through the very wrath of God himself we won't experience the wrath of God as believers amen so what does all this do for us I mean we've been through a lot 
We've studied a lot. We've been through the prophets. We've been through Daniel. We've been through Ezekiel. We've been through all of this stuff. So going through all of this, and for us, I mean, it's, it's great to go through and study it. But what, is it. but what does it do for us? I mean, it's one thing to draw knowledge off of all of this, but what, what should it do for us? Let me tell you what it ought to do. It ought to allow us to see, and it was just like in the days of Noah, Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 24. He said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. We need to understand that judgment's coming. We know it's coming. We see what's coming. And for those that will remain here, I don't think any of us in this building tonight understands the significance of what they will go through without Jesus Christ. So what should it do to us and for us? We need to understand what Paul wrote when he said redeeming the times because the days are evil. We need to make the best use of every hour of every day that we can to do what? To share the gospel and to live out the gospel in front of all of those that we come in contact with and to warn them. What did Noah did? Noah preached for 120 years that judgment was coming. I had a conversation with someone just this past week on this very subject. 120 years, Noah preached that judgment was coming. They all laughed at him. There's no way. What, 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 what's going to happen? Noah told them judgment was coming. It did not become a reality for them until the rain started to fall. And once the rain started to fall and to understand that God closed the door behind Noah and his family when they went in. Not Noah, but God closed that door. And now all of a sudden, the reality of that judgment became true to them. But it was too late. I don't know that we understand the significance of the day that we live in today. And I will say this to you, and I honestly believe this. I believe the clock is ticking even faster today than it has in the past. And I believe we are quickly moving to that day. Does that mean it's going to be next year or 10 years from now or 15 years from now? I don't know. There's only one who knows when that day will be. And that's the Father. But we know it's coming. And so what should we be doing? I don't know about you, okay? But I would hate to think that someone would suffer and go through what is coming simply because I was afraid to share the truth of the gospel with them. So, that kind of brings to a conclusion all of that. So what does it do for us? It ought to allow us to look and to see every day through a different lens of how significant it is when we consider the day that we live in. Amen? So, could we go on and on and on? We probably could. We've talked about the Millennial Temple. We've been through all of that. We've been through a lot of information. But I guess my question tonight would be this for you. Has it done anything to your heart as we've looked at it? 
I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that day when it comes. To go home to be with the Lord. To come back during the millennial kingdom. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? To come back and to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years? Huh? There's only one thing about that, though, I want you to understand tonight. And hopefully you got this while we went through it. The Jews are the ones who will be ruling with Jesus Christ from the temple. We as Gentiles, okay, we've been grafted in. We'll be there in the millennial kingdom, but I will say this to you. God's chosen people are once again going to be put into a place that is spoken of in the book of the Revelation. There'll be 12 thrones when you go read Revelation chapter 20. And those who sit on the 12 thrones. Any idea why there's 12 thrones? Are you ready for this? They're Jewish. <laughs> Do you understand that the book that you have in your hands is Jewish? All right. Do you understand as Gentiles tonight, you and I have been grafted in. We're from the outside. But praise the Lord for his wonderful grace that we have been. And we're joint heir and an heir with Jesus Christ to all that God has. But I'm going to tell you something. God's not finished with his people yet. God's not finished with Israel. God's not finished with Jerusalem. God's not finished with the Jews yet. Matter of fact, that day is going to come when they're going to realize, in fact, who he, who he was. And all of those things that will take place. Amen. I could go on and on and on all night, okay? Let me tell you why. Because I just love the one who loved me so. And when I stand up here tonight... Okay, I'm not worthy of any part of it. Mm. But hallelujah. <laughs> because of his grace, I'll be there. Amen? My question, will you be? Will you be there? All right. We're going to stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Anybody want to shout before we go? <laughs> well, that's awful weak. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. I trust this has been it. Somebody asked me, he said, where are you going to go from here? Well, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the kingdom, what the kingdom of God means. The reference that Jesus made to the kingdom in the New Testament, in the Gospels. What's the significance of all of that? How are we to be in light of this kingdom uh, that is that is spoken of in the New Testament? So somebody asked me, said, "So where are we going on Sunday nights?" I don't know yet, but we'll see. Okay. And anybody got any topic or subject? Uh, that you would like to I know someone has asked if I would go through and deal with all of the five pillars of Calvinism uh, and to deal with each one of those specifically um, so I'm not sure okay um, in reference to the scripture um, but we'll see all right we'll see what we'll do and go from here amen praise the Lord Let's bow our heads and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. 
Father, for the absolute confidence we have in its truth. And Father, for the comfort we can draw from it. But Father, also we see the great responsibility that comes with the knowledge that we have of you and the knowledge that we gain of things that are yet to come. And Father, with that knowledge comes great responsibility. And so, Father, I pray that we would understand and realize just what a task we have at our hands to share the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would dismiss us now with your love as we depart from this place tonight. Keep us safe as we travel. Bring us back at the next appointed time, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake.